All right, thank you so much, music team, especially. Really appreciate the music today, huh? Isn't it wonderful to sing those songs? If you love the Lord, you can't help just but rejoice in singing them. Just wanted to mention, by the way, I know I actually wasn't in the room. We were talking about the, uh, starting the seniors' ministry uh, this Friday night. We're looking forward to a good time. Now, those of you who aren't seniors, do not be jealous, all right? But uh, we're going to have a great time, and... Uh, and we'll, be, and we'll be in bed by 8 o'clock, I promise. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to just having a, a wonderful time together and uh, just uh, loving our Lord, growing together, encouraging each other, and helping each other. Well, we're in Matthew chapter 8 this morning. Please, if you're not already there, turn to Matthew chapter 8. And if you're using a, a, a Bible that's in the back of the seat there, it's page 813. I do want to uh, give you advance notice that we are going to be looking at a number of scriptures in the Gospels this morning. So we'll be just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So once you're in that neighborhood, you'll be there, all right? So I will ask you to maneuver around a little bit today because I think it is so important for us uh, to see uh, a number of different passages that will really help us, I think, in uh, bringing home uh, the truth today. Of course, the title of the message is, So You Want to Follow Jesus? with a question mark. And that is quite the poignant question, isn't it? Uh, for me and for you. I know the uh, scripture was already read by Brother Jonathan, but let's take a look at it again because it's a short passage. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, we read, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Sometimes I believe it is hard for us in modern-day America or Western world, if you want to use that terminology, where we have a wonderfully high standard of living, it's hard for us to remember or perhaps even begin to know the truths that are set forth by our Savior, as we have read in today's passage. What our Lord Jesus Christ said at this moment to these two individuals was, was shocking or astonishing as... Uh, Matthew recorded for us in the very last uh, verse of chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where we are told when Jesus was finished speaking that the crowd, they were, they were astonished at what he said. And I think uh, here Jesus continues to amaze his followers uh, by the power he displayed over illnesses, and next, we'll see next week in, in our narrative as we, as we continue preaching through this book, uh, we see that Jesus does something that only God can do. He controls nature itself. He, he calms a storm on the Sea of Galilee, thereby validating his authority. Uh, and he can make such shocking statements. Now, considering the miraculous things that Jesus was doing, and of course, there's many more throughout this book, and this particular event that we're looking at here is sandwiched in, uh, it's like a 
It's a sandwich, isn't it, right? <laughs> miracles, and then Jesus makes this statement, and then more miracles. Considering the miraculous things that Jesus was doing, it's easy then, I think, to imagine the excitement that this would have generated uh, in the people who were following him. How could they not want to follow the one who heals incurable diseases? To the one who performs miracles, to the one who can control nature, as they will see. And, of course, this was just the beginning of the many, many, many things that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to do. Yet, our Lord Jesus Christ would make some statements that we read today that not only caused those who heard it at that moment to pause, and to think very seriously about what he said, (laughs) but also it has given pause To you and to me today, if we carefully consider exactly what Jesus has said. I think sometimes perhaps that this is one of those passages that we read through and we say, I know what Jesus said that, but let's just keep going. I mean, I want to read about some of the other stuff. Yeah, we're here today, aren't we? And we have to consider it. Now, uh, to be sure that we live in a society that often preaches the secular gospel the secular gospel of my life, my way, right? I mean, everything around us is telling us that's what it's about. Have it your way. Remember that restaurant? Remember, who remembers that? Brian's going have it your way, right? A restaurant. My life, my way, or perhaps it's expressed this way. It's my right to do with my life whatever I want. And don't you dare tell me otherwise. And that's the culture in which we live. By the way, that's our sinful nature too, isn't it? It really is. Now, to be sure, the church at large has been infected with, I will call it the gospel of easy believism. In other words, you can believe on Christ and then have your own life any way you want. You can have salvation and go to heaven, but Jesus doesn't have any claim on your life. That's one of the easy believism gospel. Or maybe it's this one, ask Jesus into your heart and everything is always going to be wonderful. And that's out there. You can find it. And more than ever before, it's easy to get that. There was a day when you had to go to a church to find it. Now we have it in our phones and everywhere else, right? We have it. But in in uh, any of those cases, not much careful consideration is given exactly to what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's why it's important for us to take a serious look at the sober realities of what it means to genuinely follow Jesus. Let's consider that this morning. Now, as I believe it was mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I think Brother Brian mentioned it. It was either an E412 or the morning sermon. I can't remember which it was. It's instructive to note that uh, Matthew records for us. In fact, if you go back just to chapter 4, just a little bit, verse 17, back a couple pages in your Bible. Matthew 4, 17, we have the first recorded words of our Savior when he began to preach, his preaching words. And in chapter 4, verse 17, the first word that's recorded of Jesus preaching is repent. Repent. Now, what does the word repent mean? Well, it really means to change one's mind 
and which, which results in a change of action. I've heard it illustrated as, as going one way, and then when you repent, change your mind, and you go another way. And of course, it takes the grace of God to be able to make those changes in our life, but it starts with an attitude of changing my mind, thinking that I can do one thing, where all of a sudden I, I realize the Son of God says, repent. Now, very interestingly, too, if you look at that passage in chapter 4 of Matthew back there when he says, repent, then the next recorded words we have after he says, follow for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it says that he called some disciples, his first disciples, and look what he says in verse 19. He says to do what? Follow me. Follow me. And that's what we're talking about today. So you want to follow Jesus? So Jesus said that there was a repentance necessary to follow him. And sadly, sometimes we're preaching a gospel without any need to change what we think about sin and, then, and yet think we can follow Jesus. Now, to be sure, Peter, Andrew, James, and John seem quick to cast their, their fishing nets aside, and verses 18 through 22 shows that, in a willingness to follow Jesus. But, but the question is, did they really understand what that what that would mean. Did they really know just who Christ was? Of course, they were beginning to understand, weren't they? And did they really understand what it would actually cost them to follow him? And some 2,000 years later, can you or I say that we truly grasp the implications of these two words that came from the mouth of our Savior when he walked the earth and he continues to say through his word to any and to all who, who will hear that simple message, so packed with so much, follow me. Now, this account in our text today of Christ's interaction with a few individuals helps to reveal the truth and also to refine our understanding about this important topic. And as we study it, let me advise you as, and, and as I advise myself and even admonish you as I admonish myself and ask myself, do I take to heart the teaching set forth by our Savior here? Or is it one of those passages just going to blow by? Because this is, this is getting into kind of really pretty deep stuff here. And, or not, not deep in terms of maybe necessarily hard to st- understand, but do I really want to go there? Do I really follow Jesus? Maybe I should ask myself that question. I encourage you to ask yourself that question. Do you really follow Jesus? Notice, if you will, for me, and I have just four points uh, today and really spend more time in the last one. In verse number 19, I see really a self-determination, a self-determination. Verse 19 again, notice what this man says. It says, a scribe comes up and says to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. So notice how we are told that it's a scribe who approaches Christ with this pronouncement. Teacher, I want to follow you. Now, who, who were these scribes? Who were they? Well, scribes were, uh, they were the men of letters. They were the teachers of the law. They were, as we know from studying about them, ambitious of, of honor from others. And they practiced a regimen of external formalism that not only excluded them from the kingdom of God, but everybody who uh, followed them, all of their students as well. And if you want a little reference to that, it's Luke chapter 11, verse 52. 
And later on in the book of Matthew, some of you perhaps are familiar in chapter 23, what Jesus said to the scribes as well as the Pharisees. A scathing castigation and denunciation of these scribes for their hypocrisy and their greed and their self-indulgence. And he called them blind guides and whitewashed tombs. And so what did the Lord Jesus see about these men that others did not see or perhaps could not see? Well, of course, being God, Jesus sees the heart, does he not? And he saw the motivation uh, behind these men and what they did. Now, as, as for this scribe that approaches Christ, as seen on a text today, we don't know exactly what his thoughts were. We certainly don't. But based upon our understanding of the typical scribe of that time and also our Lord's response, it's quite clear that this man really didn't understand what it meant to follow Christ. In fact, I believe what we're seeing here is the words of this scribe in the words of this scribe, the sounding of the trumpet of self-determination. I see Jesus as a great teacher. In fact, he calls him what? Teacher. As not call him Lord, he calls him teacher. I see Jesus as a great teacher, a man who speaks with authority and a power, a man who performs miracles. I want to follow him, and I am determined to do so. If there was ever a determined group of people, it was the scribes. They were going to do what they were going to do. They were going to follow the law. They were going to keep it. So let me ask some questions uh, to us today. Are serious, earnest, zealous followers of Christ simply called to self-determination or is there something else? Is determination a bad thing? Uh, hey, parents, uh, don't you want your children to be determined to do the right thing all the time? To be workers and not shirkers. It's one of my favorite lines with the kids. Be a worker and not a shirker. You do know what a shirker is, don't you? Okay, yeah. Someone who doesn't do what they should do, right? Who, who avoids their job. You want them to be a worker and not a shirker, right? Uh, you want them to never quit when doing what they're doing is, is the right thing to do. And, and of course, I, I trust you want those qualities for yourself as well. Yes, I think we would agree that determination is an excellent character quality and the one that helps us along the way in, in this life and its many challenges. Yet, such an important biblical principle is being laid before us today. How often is following Christ understood simply as rolling up one's spiritual sleeves and getting, the, getting to work in the power of self-determination? I think especially when one is young in years and young in the Lord, it's, it's very easy to believe that all you have to do is reach down into the well of genuine self-determination, right? And then take a long, continual drink to gain the ability to follow Christ wherever he goes. And I can say to you with assurance, uh, to a certain degree, I've been there. Young, zealous, I want to follow the Lord, and I'm determined. I'm going to follow him. But see the love of Christ in this passage, so careful to instruct this man, who himself was an instructor of many, that following him was more than self-determination. Now, we've not said that self-determination is bad, all right, or determination is bad, but following Christ is more than self-determination. 
In fact, Jesus responds to this scribe. Secondly, you'll see, he, he responds with a statement that speaks of self-denial. Verse number 20. What does Jesus say when this man makes the obvious statement? Lord, I want to follow you. I am determined to do it. Well, foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So Jesus gives a word and a warning about both the motives and the genuine understanding concerning the call to follow him. The response of Jesus to this man seems to actually dissuade him or to discourage him or to teach him something that apparently he certainly quite didn't understand. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, if you follow me, it's not what you think. I am not at this time going to bring in a powerful earthly kingdom. In fact, following me will bring you no earthly security from a human perspective. It will bring you no wealth. It will bring you no esteem from the world. It will be a life of self-denial if you're going to follow me. Now think about it. This man came to Jesus and said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, no, be careful. Be careful. And so although what the Lord said to this scribe was startling, Jesus said similar things, even more astounding things to those who were listening to him as he ministered among the people, as we have recorded in the Gospels. In fact, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. There, that phrase is being, even being used there. And take up his cross and follow me. And that's a verse I think we're familiar with. We've heard about taking up the cross to follow Jesus. Much can be said about that phrase, take up your cross daily. But a little historical context will help give us a, a fuller understanding. To take up one's cross in that culture referred to the practice of having a condemned person carry the cross beam to the site of his Roman execution. This demonstrated that he was now so completely conquered that the very last thing he would do was to carry the instrument of his execution to the place of his death. Now, you and I are absolutely horrified by that. Our modern sensibilities, rightly so, are horrified by that picture. And of course, we know it's what our Lord Jesus Christ went through, did he not? And in fact, we know that he was so badly already beaten that he could not even carry it, and someone had to carry that beam for him. So to take up one's cross daily is to be so completely conquered and surrendered to God daily that you recognize your life is absolutely not your own. It belongs to God completely. So you want to follow Jesus? Let's take a look, uh, look, please, in Luke chapter 14 to continue to reinforce our understanding of what Jesus is talking about here. Luke chapter 14, just up a little bit in your, in your Bible, beginning of verse number 25. Luke 20, 14, verse 25 says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, 
and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Powerful, powerful words. Christ is clearly setting forth his demands of allegiance. He is saying, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to really be one of my disciples, there can be no thing and no one above me. So you want to follow Jesus? Continuing on this passage, verse number 28. For which of you, Jesus said, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. cannot be my disciple. Again, such startling words from the mouth of our Savior. To renounce all means to forsake all or to leave all. It is the complete denial of self in order to follow Christ alone at all costs. So you want to follow Jesus? Now, I am certain that in this room today, some of us are saying in our heart of hearts, yes, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And yet, I'm saying to myself, am I able to do this? Can I truly live the life of self-denial? And can I take up my cross daily and renounce all of what this world has to offer in order to follow Christ? Again, if we go back to our text for today in Matthew chapter 8, I think we get more insight into what can transpire in our hearts. Yes, I believe we see this, the self-determination of this scribe, and yet Jesus saying, no, it's more than that. You're going to need some self-denial here. But I, I, I think in verse 21, we see, thirdly, a genuine desire. And oh, how the Lord would be pleased if he looks down at every one of us in this room today and sees a genuine, sincere, honest desire to really follow him. Considering the statement of the scribe in verse 19, one wonders if he, that would be the scribe, was simply responding to Christ emotionally without serious thought about what it really meant to follow him. Yet the next statement by another disciple, recorded in verse number 21, seems to indicate more thought and a genuine desire to follow Christ, but also a recognition of his current realities and current responsibilities. Because that's what goes through my head and your head 
is it not? When we think about being a follower of Christ and giving our all to him, and then we have things go through our heads about, but, well, I'm getting ahead of myself in the message. Let me, let me not get there. <laughs> What, what, what does this man say? He says, let me first go bury my father. That seems reasonable. Whether this man's father had recently died or he wanted to take care of family business or, uh, and he wanted to do that, or whether he meant that he desired to fulfill his family obligation in caring for his parents until their death, which is probably the case. One thing is clear. Christ still placed first claim on this man's life. So unlike the scribe who, based on the history of them as a class of people in that society, might have had the motivation of self-determination or maybe even self-exaltation, we really have no idea why this man wanted to follow Christ. But assuming the best means that he had a genuine desire to follow the Lord Jesus. In fact, he calls him Lord, doesn't he? Calls him Lord. And yet again, he didn't fully comprehend the magnitude of what it meant. And it's, it's probably safe to say that many genuine believers find themselves in that very place. Yes, I have a genuine desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But first, I have to... What's going through your head? Is that you? If it is, join the rest of us. To be perfectly honest, we want to follow Christ, and yet there is something so reasonable that we must do first. There's something uh, so necessary, at least from a human point of view, that surely it's okay if we put that first, or him first, or her first, or them first. And yet Jesus makes it clear over and over again in his teaching. He has to be absolutely first to follow him. In Luke's account of this very passage that we're studying today in Matthew, we see that another individual comes uh, to Jesus with a, a, what seems to be a reasonable request. And it's in Luke chapter 9. In fact, let's turn there. I didn't, wasn't going to, but let's turn Luke 9, verse 61. Because we're going to be in Luke a little while anyway, but Luke 9. And if you look, please, at verse 61. 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. Calls him Lord. But let me first say, well, say farewell to those at my home. But what does Jesus say? This is why the words of Jesus are absolutely astonishing. Amen. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's almost as though Jesus is saying to me, I will have absolute priority. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. And that's the challenge for me today. That's a challenge for us today. And oh, imagine what this church would be like if every one of us were completely surrendered to that lordship, completely given over to follow Christ. Wow, what would happen here? 
how the gospel would shine forth, would it not? So we see that simply because one has a genuine desire to follow Christ, it doesn't necessarily follow that it is with total abandonment to Christ above all. And that's what's going through my head and your head today. There's so much we can learn from our passage, but for our final point, let's just consider something that, uh, that's more than genuine desire, and that is more importantly, what is genuine discipleship? Verse 22 of our, of our text in Matthew chapter 8. Again, there's books written on this, right? Volumes written on this. Series of messages that are written on this. I, I have just one little point in the next few minutes. But I'm going to share with you what I think Lord would have me to share to help us as a church body to perhaps have a better understanding of what it really means to be a genuine disciple of Christ. So when this man says, let me first go bury my father, Jesus says something that causes those who hear him and cause us who read it to step back, figuratively speaking, in amazement and wonder. Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Wow. Did the Lord really say that? (laughs) Yeah, he did. What amazingly powerful words, and what a definition of discipleship is being taught by our Savior. What total abandonment to Him and Him alone. What complete and utter claim He has upon the life of everyone who says, I will follow Jesus. Oh, my friends, it will take more than self-determination. It will take something more than genuine desire. It will take nothing less than the supernatural transforming power of the Holy Spirit of God upon the life of a man or a woman who yields, there's the word, who yields to the God of the universe and says, I will follow Jesus. Now listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, and if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, listen. As they say in the vernacular, that ain't natural. Because what the natural man says, remember, it's my life the way I want it right now. No one's going to tell me what to do. Yet when Christ comes down and saves a soul, he does something supernatural, does he not? He transforms that person from the inside out that they want to follow him. Now, to be sure, (laughs) we're still sinners, aren't we? And we struggle with learning how to grow and how to yield ourselves to him. But it is a a supernatural work that he does in us. And so by his astounding statement, our Savior is making it clear that the life of a genuine disciple of Christ is radically different than that of an unbeliever. The one who follows Jesus, the genuine disciple of Christ, is alive in Christ. And others outside the personal relationship with him are spiritually dead. That's why he says that astounding statement, let the dead bury their dead. And the question for you today and for me is, are you certain you're spiritually alive? Do you you know for sure that you are God's child? Leave the dead to bury their own dead. Wow. Seems harsh. 
but it does reveal a genuine revelation on, of the difference between those who love Christ and those who are lost. And again, I just want to say it this way. I hope you understand that Christianity is not about reformation. It's about regeneration, Amen. right? It's not reformation. It's regeneration. Regeneration is a supernatural work of God in the life of an individual that transforms them, as I said already, from the inside out. But it's that regeneration, that work that God does in that person's life that causes that one to be willing to suffer denial and suffer persecution and suffer rejection and abandonment even by family and friends and to long earnestly to be in the very presence of Jesus Christ. That's what you want because you're following him. You know what? God doesn't want you to fall fall in love with doctrine, although you need to know all of it. He wants you to fall in love with him. And we understand that uh, there may be many who face, we understand that there will be many who face Christ someday who will say, see, I reformed. Look what I've done. But apart from the saving power of Christ and them being born again, they'll wind up, the Bible says, spending an eternity in hell. And may that not be you, my friend. Be sure you're here today knowing that you don't have reformation, but you have regeneration. Yet, if you are certain you're born again, we who do know we are born again, with genuine believers, it's good for us to ask if we are guilty of some attitudes that show that we haven't quite figured it out or not, we're not quite there yet where we need to be. And one of those places we see that, I think, is uh, the words of Peter as we look in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Look at Mark, chapter 10, quickly with me, please. Mark, chapter 10. This is just right after the scene where the rich man comes and wants to follow Jesus. And, and of course, in that culture, they thought that perhaps money had, a, had a, 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 an effect in maybe getting to heaven. But at any rate, uh, in verse number 28, actually, go to verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, with God it is, all things are possible. And Peter makes this statement. Peter began to say to him, verse 28, See, we have left everything and followed you. Now, the danger here, I think, in the words of Peter is this. Look what we have done. We've given up everything for you, Lord Jesus. May we be very careful. Be very, very careful. So much can be considered about this topic, but know this. Genuine discipleship, as I said before, is the pursuit of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, follow me. Be in love with me. Give yourself completely to me. It's the pursuit of this person, this love of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who, as we've sung about today, who gave everything for us. He gave everything for you. He gave everything for me. So it's not about what you do or what I do. It's not so important. It's about who you know. Do you know him personally? Do you have an intimate walk with him? Is your day, is your Christianity a matter of reading your Bible and following rules and doing this and that? 
Is that what it is? Or is it, I love Jesus Christ. And because I love him, I want to talk to him. And I want him to talk to me. And I want to do right. I want to live for him because of this relationship I have with him. Because I know him. Because I'm following him. In fact, in this very passage, if we look at, again, Matthew, Mark 28. I'm sorry, Mark 10, verse 28. Where'd it go? Lost my place. Okay. Uh, and then Jesus said in verse 29, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands. Notice this next phrase, very important. For my sake and for the gospel. Now, unfortunately, our sinful hearts, we do like to do a lot of stuff for ourselves. And I think what Peter is saying there, hey, look what we have done. Take a look at us. Jesus said, wait a minute, it's all about for me and for the sake of the gospel. We see something similar to this in Luke chapter 10. Turn to Luke 10, verse 17, please. Luke 10, verse 17. Jesus, in the beginning of this chapter, has sent out 72 men to preach the gospel. And look what their response is. Verse 17 of Luke 10 says this, And the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Verse number 20. Jesus said, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Again, in a sense, I think we're seeing that these 72 are saying, look what we're able to do. Look what's happening. And so I think there's a danger here of seeking spiritual success, as it's noted in our culture. Sometimes, you know what we're, what we're interested in, very subtly, we want to be known as someone who can do great things for God. We need to be careful. It's all about following him and elevating him. Jesus said, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you know him. Rejoice that he's reached down and saved you. Be in awe of the fact that you are a child of God. Again, in that Luke 14, 26 passage that we looked at, Jesus said, unless a man takes up his cross, he cannot be my disciple. There are conditions, and we are to love Jesus personally. We are to love him passionately and with great devotion, a love for him that goes beyond any of the closest relationships on earth. And to illustrate this, let's close in looking at John, a couple of passages in the Gospel of John. John chapter 21. This is after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And we see Jesus is at the point where he is restoring Peter to himself. You know the account of, of course, Peter denying the Lord Jesus. By the way, if there was a guy who had a lot of self-determination, it was Peter, wasn't it? I'm going to follow, I'm going to serve you. And of course, I'll never deny you. Peter, you're going to deny me where the cock crows. It is, you know, we know the passage. And of course, our wonderful Lord Jesus is, re, is restoring Peter to himself. And in chapter 21 of the Gospel of John, Verse 16, 
Jesus said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Of course, first he asked him if he loved him more than fishing, but then he says to him, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Verse 17, Simon, do you love me? Do you even like me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. What does Jesus say in the end of that passage? Look at the last two words of verse 19. What does he say? I want to share with you, brothers and sisters, my personal conviction that the only reason we'll ever really follow Jesus Christ is if we love him. If we really love him. You know, from a human standpoint, I can say here to you, some of you, and say, what would you do for your, your mate? What would you do for your child? What would you do for someone you what? Love. And that's flawed, of course, because we're sinful. But oh, with the Spirit of God dwelling within us and by His grace and power, if we really love Him, Jesus said, then here's what you need to do. Follow me. Back to chapter 6 of John, we're done. I think this illustrates this point very clearly. And it asks us a question. Jesus is preaching to the people about being the bread of life. He's saying things that they can't quite understand. In fact, he's saying in John chapter 6, unless you drink uh, my blood, uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and they're trying to figure this out. What in the world is this man saying? And the response of the people, look at chapter 6, verse 60 of uh, Gospel of John. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? That'd be a question for you and for me this morning as we've read the, our text today and some of the verses I've read. Are we saying the same thing as them? This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? But Jesus, verse 61, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling, said, do you take offense at this? And what if it were, uh, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Look at verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. There's a lot to that, but let me make the application here. To the degree that you want to receive what's being preached today, it's because of the Spirit of God in you. And to the degree that you're saying, oh, wait a minute, hold it, it's the flesh in you. The question is, which one's going to win? Which one are we going to surrender to? Which one are we going to say yes to? And, of course, they, the, the disciples leave, are leaving him there. But look at as we get to verse number 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And Jesus said to the 12, and this is the question as I close this today. Do you want to go away as well? And of course, Peter said, no, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. But that question is being posed to me by the Lord Jesus and to you. Do you also want to go away? Remember, Jesus preached and many left. You and I can sit in this room today and be like them. Not literally, but figuratively, right? We don't really follow him. Or we can be like the disciples who say, Lord, 
to well, should we go? So you want to follow Jesus? Do you understand who he truly is? What claim he has in your life? Do you recognize the claim he has and the right to be your all? Will you follow him? And a final question is that I ask you as I ask myself, do you love him? And will you follow him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for helping this poor preacher try to bring forth the truth that without your spirit's help, we just cannot grasp or put into practice. But Lord, we know it's your word in Christ commands us to follow him. The choice is ours. Lord, help us to love you with love our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Lord, may you work right now in our hearts as we have a few moments of quiet to contemplate what we've heard today. And certainly, Lord, any question that's been going through our heads may it be because of the work of your spirit and certainly not because of the work of this man behind the pulpit today. We ask this in Christ's name. Let's have some quiet time for prayer.